Y. Joining me today, I have Amy Skilbred, the Executive Director for the Juno Community Foundation, as well as Mandy Cole, the Executive Director of AWARE. How are you both doing today? Great. Thank really you. Really well. Thanks. That's good. Now, I brought you both in today because I want to talk to you about the Nonprofit Housing Council. Now, this was something that you both talked about at a Chamber of Commerce lunch, I believe a week or two ago. And it caught my attention. We ended up doing a news story on it. But I wanted to sort of expand upon that for people who may not have read the article or may not get out to the Chamber of Lunches. So maybe give me first sort of a brief rundown of what the Nonprofit Housing Council is. Sure, this is Amy. And the Nonprofit Housing Development Council came about um, from nonprofit organizations in Juneau who house homeless people. And we're looking at how do, how do they develop more housing? How do they accommodate those folks who are continue to be homeless in Juneau? Um, how do we do what's needed in order to educate people, advocate for housing, and be able to provide the housing that's needed? And specifically looking at folks who are less than 30% of the area mean in income. And that's really only housing for those folks is developed by the nonprofits because it just isn't a profitable enterprise for a for-profit organization or business. And Emmanuel, do you want to add on to that? Sure. I, you know, one of the reasons that I worked with Amy and we kind of gathered some folks together, some like-minded folks together, is that the the provision of housing isn't necessarily the primary mission of most of the social service agents <clears throat> agencies in Juneau, but we've all recognized that without housing, none of the rest of it can happen, at least not effectively, quickly, safely. And so if you want people to be well, they need to be, they need to have that kind of bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy, which is, you know, safety and stability. And so having a home, which many of us take for granted, is a way to start to establish safety, especially if that's been lost through violence, through, through um, mental health concerns, through poverty. Um, all of those things lead up to, to families feeling really unstable. And so, and so all of these agencies that are trying to work these strategies to help folks are still running into the same problem, which is, boom, there's no housing. Boom, there's no housing. And so we decided, many of us, to, to try and work on that ourselves. And then once you try and work on it yourself, you realize how dang hard it is. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so then we started looking for other people who could help um, share their knowledge and expertise so that we wouldn't have to go it alone. Gotcha. And, and I'm glad you brought up, I think it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, correct? Correct. correct. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes there's this idea that, you know, oh, uh, it's such and such a problem is because, because of one other thing. So in this case, maybe someone says, oh, crime goes up because of, you know, the homeless population or something along those lines. And it's like, okay, well, say, let's say, for instance, maybe that is the situation. Well, if you can help address the root cause by the hierarchy of needs, you address the the need for housing, then that can help have effects on other things later on. Would you kind of, you kind of get what I'm saying along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that Housing First has shown in Juneau is that providing housing works. And so Housing First has 64 units, and um, I think most people there, I think on average, have been homeless for nine years or so, at least with the first group that um, came in there. And what they found is that after housing people for some a portion of time, 
very quickly, the police calls went down for those people, the assistance um, that the emergency room provided for folks, the assistance of um, the rainforest sleep off, several things decreased and because people were in a stable living situation. And it's amazing when you go there now and meet people and they're living ordinary lives like other folks and supported housing because folks need additional supports there. But um, it's tremendous. It makes a huge difference. Gosh. And now with you bringing up housing first, there could also be this idea of, well, with housing for first, why do we need to do more of these kinds of projects? <laughs> well, <clears throat> Um, as impressive as Housing First is, it did not solve the entirety of the problem of uh, affordable housing and homelessness. And I think what a lot of people think of when they think of homelessness is a you know a single person kind of sleeping in a doorway downtown because that's what gets kind of the most attention, let's say. But um, you know there are there's lots of data that says that extremely low income households are comprised of lots of different people. So they may be people who are experiencing disabilities. They may be people who are single caregivers. They may be seniors. Um, they are in the labor force and they are by and large working. There's a, a significant piece, a portion of this population that does have a job. And this is what I hear a lot, which is um, you should put your efforts toward, toward work, not toward housing, because one comes before the other. But but what I think people aren't always seeing is that, particularly in a town like Juneau, where the average rent is so high, that you can have a job and you can be working that job um, and raising your family and still not be able to afford monthly rent for an apartment that that is able to kind of accommodate you and your children. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, even the data, I think, would agree with you there. I was talking with the Department of Labor last week, and, you know, they found, you know, the average rent for Juno is about $1,420, and that's certainly above the average median uh, income needed to have a rent at that level. Yeah, if you're at less than 30% average median income, your income for one person is about $25,000, and that's, uh, you know, the rule of thumb is you shouldn't be spending more than a third of your income on housing because you've got other expenses. You know, you have to eat, you have to clothe your, you, your family, whatever. And so for one person, that would be a $700 a month um, rent that they would be paying at 30%. And for a family of four, it goes up They, if their average median income, less than 30% AMI, which the high end of that is 36,000. So those folks could pay about $1,000 in rent a, year, uh, a month. And um, that's just, you, you just don't find that in Juneau. And so the problem, and it's not just a Juno problem. A lot of places across the country are looking at it, and the problem is a lack of housing. And um, so on the one side, you don't have enough housing because the housing hasn't been built. And um, in Juno, we're also having um, those housing uh, buildings that were built using HUD subsidies 30 years ago in order to provide for just regular low-income housing. A lot of those are aging out, um, meaning that the tax break is, is gone now. People are, who owned it are selling it. People who are buying it may be renovating it and putting it to um, a higher income uh, folks for, for regular rentals. So we have a lot of difficulties. Also, I think COVID, um, there were definitely pandemic programs that um, had rent um, 
alleviation. And so people weren't having to pay rent. And then once those programs have gone away, people are paying rent again and some are having to pay back rent. And so that's causing problems and, and evictions. Um, people are losing their housing. And I think you can speak better to evictions, Mandy, and what happens in those situations. Well, an eviction is a pretty, um, in a tight housing market, and an eviction is kind of the, the worst thing that can happen to you because it really makes you in, in some ways untouchable f- for a lot of, of, uh, of housing providers. So even if you were to have the money with an eviction on your record, um, it is sometimes really difficult in a tight housing market to find someone willing to take the chance on you. And, and you know, we, <clears throat> I think that can be said for you know, I specifically work for survivors of domestic and sexual violence, and and many of them do have evictions that are related to the violence that happened to them, you know, with their partner. And so, you know, I can definitely say that when a market allows for um, landlords to have kind of a greater choice on who they want to rent to, that's that is healthy. Um, but oftentimes, the people who have the least amount of of privilege in that way end up not housed. Um, and there, and there, there's a lot of single mothers with children in that category. And I think also evictions in Juno can sometimes end up putting several families out of a housing situation because, as our rents have increased in Juno, people have moved in together. Families have moved in together to consolidate and be able to afford a place to live. And so, as that happens, because of Basically, uh, the difference between the how quickly rents have increased in Juno and how quickly wages have increased or not increased, to, they haven't kept pace. And so, what happens is you can end up putting, you know, two or three families end up homeless when there's one eviction. So, gotcha. And it, it is a very multi-layered problem. I know that you actually have some more kind of numbers and data to give me, but we are going to save that for the second half as we are out of time for this first section. So do come back. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And we are back with more Action Line on KINY. Now, during the end of the first half, I, Amy had asked if you could maybe give me a, some of the data, some of the numbers that kind of go along with this, maybe to kind of contextualize it a bit more for folks. And so, like, what kind of numbers are we seeing for the homeless in Juneau? Well, I think um, the, the best count, and I'm looking at Mandy as well, the best count on this was um, last fall, some information that we got from the Glory Hall. And um, I think it was Glory Hall, maybe only the Glory Hall. But it, they had had 360-some people who, um, at the end of the summer, were homeless. And then several of those... Um, Found about found housing, or um, were left the state, or were incarcerated, or you know some reason they are no longer homeless, and some of them just couldn't. One couldn't tell you where they went, um, and that left about 189 people um, in October of last year that were residing at the Glory Hall or looking for housing, and while while the Glory Hall built the 40. 342 additional rooms and is able to house more people there. It's an emergency shelter. So it's it's not a place where you want people to be for any length of time. You want them to be in there for as short amount of time as possible and then move into housing that is more long-term um, and in a better environment and have the supports they need in order to get back on their feet and be more fully functioning. And um, those you know that that still left 180 you know 80 
85, 89 people. And so being able to address the needs that they have when looking at where to provide housing for them. What basically um, came up is we need more housing, you know, and, and being able to provide that and the nonprofits in town, especially led by, I gotta give Mandy and, you know, Marie Levishuk and Dave Ringel and others a whole lot of credit and Jammy and um, Family Promise because these executive directors are taking on besides running all the programs to support people, taking on building housing um, and building things like the new Glory Hall, the new um, the Housing First, and Housing First Phase 3, and then AWARE has built, um, built the Kasai building and is now building other building, another building. So. Yeah, we have, a, we have 12 units of transitional housing, and then we're, we're building seven units of, of uh, permanent housing in Douglas, and... You know, I think one of the the things about you know you, you can listen to the numbers all day, and I recognize some people are, are numbers people, um, and I wish them well. Um, but you know, part of why I think it's important for for us to kind of distinguish this group of of very low income renters is that they need more oftentimes than than simply an opportunity to rent a, a place. Um, you know, even if you are working. Um, your kid gets sick and you can't go to work for two days. Uh, you know they they may lose their job. Um, the 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 car breaks down. They may lose their job. There are so many things that that families with resources can absorb that families without resources cannot absorb. One kind of bad luck luck of the draw uh, means that they miss their rental payment and then they're they're out on the street and that kind of thing is what we really want to be able to provide a buffer against. And so if we are, are have units that are willing to rent to these folks, willing to take the chance, um, and that's often because they're owned by these social service providers, and then we also apply additional resources to them. So we work with people to, to um, increase their benefits, to be able to work more hours, to, to be able to save to be able to budget, if we can do those things, and we're not, we're, we're committed to trying to keep them housed, which is different than committed to trying to make sure they pay their rent every single month. I mean, it sounds the same, but it's actually not. And so, many of us who provide um, low-income housing understand that there are going to be months when we're short um, because the folks in our housing aren't able to pay. But they're usually not able to pay for a very good reason, and they're often really willing to do to double down and do the work it takes to get back there um, they just need some grace and and if you're not if your whole motivation is not necessarily the bottom line um, which it often has to be in market rentals uh, then then you can do some real good for people and for families Gotcha. And there was something I want to circle back to that you had mentioned uh, in the first half of the show, which was that, you know, there's this idea that, you know, the, the image you see often when it comes to this kind of with the, the homelessness situation is you see that image of, you know, the person in the door in the doorway, like you were saying, and it presents it in a way that really doesn't represent the situation. Would you agree with me on that? Certainly. Yeah. About um, statewide for Alaska, I think the figures show about 80% of the people, um, there's some reason that either they're not working or 30% of that 80% are working. 
and and still are homeless. So I have, uh, you know, I have several elders in my emergency shelter right now who are kind of charged with living off of eleven hundred dollars a month. Basically, that's what they get in their social security, and so. You know, how how is a person to be able to afford a rental in Juneau um, for 1100 a month? And if you're uh, 83, are you going to want to live in a, um, a house and rent a room with a bunch of, of young people who came to do some tourism stuff? It's just it, it's an un, it's an unreasonable expectation that we have of people um, that they're going to be able to make it work no matter what. The fact is, if you don't have money, it is really really hard to make it work and so we have to figure out ways to change the equation yeah, and I think it's important to mention seniors because I think also um, the like housing first has found that the, the age that there's a lot of there's a lot of seniors in town who are housing insecure or on the cusp and um, as you know those of us who own a house might not might say well why why is that because don't they own a house but that just isn't the case for a lot of people in town and if you're you know we're really talking about Mm -hmm. renters and the difficulty that renters face in this housing environment in Juneau. Gotcha. And then we can spend, uh, I think the big thing I want to hear hit now is, I mean, obviously we can spend all day talking about, oh, here is a problem, but what are some of the solutions that can be worked on to really, really try and tackle this more head on? Yeah, well, I think the the formation of this nonprofit housing development council is is part of the solution. And the reason I think it's important important is because it states the problem baldly basically you know we're not going to be able to rely on the market to deliver you know units that are affordable under 30 percent that's just not how the market works people need you know to make in order to make money uh, and continue developing housing need a bigger margin than what that kind of housing provides so one it delineates the problem two it provides a forum for us to get together and to prioritize projects so we're not making, you know, so I don't come to an ask uh, or come to CBJ and ask for a million dollars and and Maria does and Dave Ringel does and, you know, all of these housing providers all do the same thing at the same time. We're, we're trying to space out and prioritize our projects so that we can really put some of the emphasis on what is most needed and kind of do it in a, in a more orderly fashion. And then three, we have resources. Some of us um, as organizations have plots of land. Some of us have buildings that are underutilized or differently utilized. And so we're kind of inventorying everything we have right now to try and make sure, um, you know, if there's a higher or better use, we could we could put this resource to that we're that we're doing it. And then I'd say the fourth thing is, um, like like Amy mentioned, none of us are professional housing developers. Like none of us went to school to do this, or I don't know if you even go to school for that. But but we all have um, we have uh, you know jobs that require us to be a lot of things to a lot of different people. And so if together we can share some expertise, like oh you know I know how to write a contract for this kind of construction development, or oh I know a person who can um, look over these plans for you and give you a you know a really fair estimate you know just things like that that take some of the price away from um or some of the expense away from 
developing a new project like that that ultimately saves the end user and it saves our sanity (laughs) and i think it really helps um eds that haven't gone through developing property and um, not only that but eds are responsible to boards and we have nonprofit boards which may or may not have people on them that have experience with um, construction management or how you might do it and even if they do most of them don't have um, the how do you build nonprofit funding in order to construct something? Because a lot of the times we're trying, well, most every time we're trying to build in Juno the nonprofit sector without having loans that you have to pay back that have interest on them because that just increases whatever the cost is of operating the, um, the building once it's done. And so now we have several that are in the works. Um, Mandy and Aware are putting, working on seven units um, to provide housing. The Glory Hall is looking, is working on changing the downtown, the old building, into seven units of housing. Uh, already in the works is funding, raising funds to put on 28 more units on Housing First Phase Three, which will complete Housing First because that whole plot of land will be developed to the extent it can be. Their discussions with Catholic Community Services that they have a building that they've been trying to figure out how do you renovate this building and you know what can you do with it and so they're looking at housing there and maybe housing for seniors. Gotcha. Well, it's a complex issue that um, I would say it's nice to see some folks trying to tackle that more more head on. But we are out of time, Amy, Mandy. Yeah. I'd like to thank you both for taking the time to come in and chat with me. Thank you, Jared. Thank you. All righty, you've been listening to Action Line on KINY.